Well, good morning, church. I'm Scott Weatherford. I'm really glad you're here. You know, I'm, I'm excited about this new series. Uh, every time we kind of start thinking about what's next, I get excited. In fact, we've got all of next year kind of planned out. I'm excited about that. <clears throat> but we're going to dive into something this uh, over the next several weeks. That I think is going to change your perspective, hopefully, and encourage you and build your life. Before I get into that, I want to say a couple of things. First of all, about the men's dessert contest, okay? Maybe I'm a little bitter. I don't know. But last Thursday, I decided I was going to pre-bake my award-winning dessert, and I made some caramel apple bread, and I invited a few close friends over to come and taste the results, and they ate it like starving vultures and said, oh, this is not the winner. This is not the winner. Could I have some more? This is not the winner. So I'm going to come. I thought that was funnier when I had it in my mind than what had just happened there. But I'm wondering what it's going to be the winner, so I look forward to that. You guys, you look forward to that as well. On November the 11th, our AGM, <clears throat> it's not going to be business as normal. Usually you don't say come to a business meeting, but this is not going to be normal because we've had an incredible year, and we're going to brag on Jesus. And that night you have two special, special musical guests. The Weatherford brothers will be uh, singing that night. I'm, uh, St- my brother Stan's going to be here. He's going to play his guitar and sing. So you guys look forward to that. I'm going to be leading as well. So mark your calendar, Sunday night, the 11th. Bring your favorite pie. If you don't win your dessert contest on the 4th, you get a cleanup opportunity on the 11th, all right? So let's jump into this series. Come and see encounters with Jesus. They're phrases in our mind that kind of are an invitation, an invitation for intimacy, an invitation to get close, an invitation to come and see. And we say things like this, uh, come check this out, or take a look at this, or see, see for yourself. And these are all inquiring invitations, invitations that would draw us in. And these are literally our quest for discovery. Do you know why you have that quest for discovery? Because God hardwired your soul to be a seeker. You're looking for something more than what you currently have. You're looking for something deeper, something more fulfilling, something that, well, some philosophers call it the divine spark, the place in you that speaks to the deepest place of who you are. You're looking for that invitation. Now, what makes this really interesting is that when the God of the ages invites you to come and see, it's not just me saying, hey, check this out. Look at this picture on my phone or, or come, come look at this. It's the God of ages who says, come close, come close to me and discover who I am and discover what I want for you. Come and see. And that invitation starts changing our lives. Now, I wrote this down. I want to make sure I get it just right. So I want you to, I want to read it for you. What makes things really interesting is when Jesus is inviting you to come and see. Throughout scripture, you find God inviting people. Noah, Moses, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, Elijah, Jeremiah, King David, his disciples, and every one of these invitations changed who they were. Every time they encountered God, it changed who they were. And so today, I'm inviting you, but it's not me. It's God to come and see. Jesus comes into history He is God in flesh. He was and is the most dynamic, compelling, and effective, insightful, attractive figure to ever walk this mortal coil. He spoke as no other, healed like no other, connected like none other, and loved like none other. 
He was not captured in history and is not captured in history or frozen in time, but he's still moving. He's still working and he's still inviting you come check him out to come and see. And over the next several weeks, we're going to hear this invitation. In fact, next week, we're going to have an encounter with Jesus where I'm going to ask you a question. Do you want to be healed? Do you really want to be healed? Do you want it all from Jesus? Are you satisfied to stay where you are? Or do you want more? But today we're going to look at this invitation. And I believe we're going to be changed physically and personally, relationally, spiritually, as a family. And that's what Jesus does. He comes into our lives to change us so that we might become like him. Well, we're going to see today the invitation of come and see, but it doesn't stop there because Jesus never stops with a casual introduction. He starts there and takes you to the intentional disciple making, which only he could pull off. So check this out. Take a look at this. Come and see. And in seeing, let's be changed. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you're going to say to us this morning. And I pray that you'll speak through me, that you'll clear up my foggy mind and, and that you'll give me your truth so these people who I love and you love more will hear your wisdom and hear your word. And I pray that we will not be casual in this encounter, but we will be definitely defined and changed by you. Thank you for what you're going to do. And I pray all this in your strong name. Amen. Now, I invite you to take out your Take the Weekend With You notes so you can jot some things down. Let me remind you, as in all of our series, we provide for you extra extra material on our website, fbcwimberly.com. <clears throat> we have several things there for you, group materials, personal readings, things that will help build your life to encourage you. Why do we do that? Because we're bored. We have nothing else to do. So we, come, we just do put all this curriculum together. No, it's because we love you. And we're here to encourage you so that we might together become like Christ. So in this invitation, come and see. Here's the invitation. It's an invitation to a new you. New you. Jesus comes on the scene. And we're going to look at the Gospel of John. John was a pastor of a church in Asia Minor. And during the kind of the, the climate of that day, there were people challenging the deity of Christ. It was coming out of the... Uh, the Library of Alexandria. They were challenging the deity of Christ. And they said, Jesus really wasn't God. He was just some kind of specter or a phantom. He was a mystical, uh, spiritual being, but not a physical being. And when he rose from the grave, it wasn't a physical resurrection. It was a spiritual resurrection. They were just kind of discrediting Jesus. D does that sound familiar? Like our society loves to discredit Jesus. And so Pastor John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes this gospel to prove the deity of Christ. Now, what I'm about to read from is an incredible encounter Jesus had with his disciples in the early days. But to set that up, you look at John in the prologue of John, that's first, uh, chapter one, verses one through 18. John talks about who Christ is. It's a great theological rich passage. And then it turns his attention to his cousin, John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. And could you imagine growing up with Jesus and John the Baptist? Yeah, I think that's worse than the Weatherford boys. I mean, growing up with those two. Uh, could you imagine having Jesus and John the Baptist on your Little League baseball team? Would that be awesome? 
Every play was a double play with those two rascals. In fact, John the Baptist was one of the only two people before the uh, Pentecost that had the Holy Spirit dwelling on them permanently. He was one of the two. In fact, when his mother Elizabeth was pregnant with him, Mary comes in and she's pregnant with Jesus and the baby John the Baptist leaps in her womb because he sees Messiah, sees Jesus. So John's a pretty incredible dude. And John the Baptist is out in the wilderness proclaiming, repenting, and people convicting, and he's having his own ministry here, and people are being baptized. And then Jesus shows up, and this is what he says. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What? Shouldn't they like be in competition? Oh, no, 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 no. John the Baptist was the forerunner for Jesus. He said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And his disciples who were around John the Baptist, they all turned and looked at Jesus and said, this is the guy we were looking for. This is the guy we are looking for. So now we get this encounter. Jesus turned and saw them following him. That's the two disciples. And he said to them, what are you seeking? That's one of the great questions of Scripture. What are you seeking? Why did you come here today? Well, you came here today because mama said you didn't show up, you wouldn't get a lunch. What do you do? Why, what are you seeking? Are you seeking peace? Are you seeking hope? Seeking friendship? You check it off the box? And Jesus asked the pointed question, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, I think this is one of the most awkward replies in scripture. I think when Jesus turned, he caught them so off guard, he says, hey, what do you guys want? That they went, uh, 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 so uh, where, where are you staying? Where, where are you hanging out? It's kind of like the question, awkward question, so uh, where, where are you from? The awkward introduction. Of course, Jesus knew exactly what they were seeking. And they had no, no idea what he was doing or what he would do. And this is what he said, come and see. Now, I've heard some prosperity preachers say this. Well, you know Jesus had a big house because he wouldn't invited people over for company unless he had a big house. You know what that's called? Big bunch of baloney. Because the Bible says that Jesus, Jesus said this, birds have nests, foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He was inviting them into a relationship with him. Come and see. Come hang out with me. And so they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. But then you read later and they bring others and they bring others and they bring others because the invitation to come and see is an invitation to be contagious and to invite others. You've heard me use the phrase, we are one beggar telling other beggars where we found bread. And it's that invitation to life that comes, an invitation to a new you. This question of what are you seeking is compelling to me because I read this and it jumps off the page at me and I realize that all my answers are found in Christ. The question of my relationships, the question to my hurt, my habits, my hangups, my sins, my brokenness, all our needs are met in him. And Jesus knows me. He knows me. He knows you. He knows your secrets. He knows your disappointments. He knows your past. He knows your present. He also knows your future. And he loves you just the same. He doesn't look at you and go, loser. He looks at you and said, 
beloved. And he invites you to come, to find all your needs in him. Now, here's something that I, I want to just hurt your mind for a second, hurt your brain for a second. You can't even come into a relationship with God unless Jesus invites you to come and see. You can't even approach God unless Jesus goes, hey, you, come and see. What? Yeah. You see, your coming to Christ is not on your own. It's only by the welcoming of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Come and see. How do I know that? Because Jesus said it. Listen to what he says in John 6, 65. And he said, this is why I told you that no one could come to me unless it's granted to him by the Father. Oh. So I have to be awakened to my need through the invitation of Jesus. Now, what's really interesting, uh, a pastor, Bill Hybels, he said this, it usually takes people seven invitations before they respond to the gospel. So as we invite people to come and see Jesus, as God is working in them, he has to awaken their hearts so that we'll even respond. Listen to this next one. And, and that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, what is that last thing? Whoever comes to me, what will happen? Let's read it. And whoever comes to me, I will. What? I will never cast out. In other words, if you come to the invitation of Jesus, he receives you and he'll not get rid of you. Now, some of you grew up in a belief system that said, you better do the right thing the right way for the right reasons or you're going to get punted out of the kingdom of God. Catch you drinking a beer, you're going to hell. Catch you smoking, you're going to hell. Well, smoking won't send you to hell, just make you smell like you've been there. It just, it, uh, <laughs> so bad. But the invitation, Jesus says, you come, I'm going to take you. Now, how do you know? How do you know you've heard the invitation of Jesus? I will tell you how you know. Every one of you in this room, every one of you listening online has just heard the invitation to come and see. God wants every one of you. Well, you don't know how bad I am. No, but God does. You know, he'll take you anyway. Oh, God doesn't know how broken I am. Yeah, he does. And he's never met a man or a woman he can't make right. If we went down to this pond here that's in our property and we caught one of these nice bass and we decided we're going to have to, we're going to eat it for lunch, which would be a mistake, but we're going to eat it for lunch. We're going to have to clean it up before we can eat it. Did you know that? We have to prepare it. Jesus never met a man or a woman that he doesn't have to clean up, that he doesn't have to prepare. But he invites you to come and see, and it's all about a new you. You don't need a new leaf. You need a new life. And this is what King Jesus offers in the invitation to come and see. And in my preparation this week, I started to stop there. But there's so much more because the invitation doesn't just stop at the recognition or at the introduction because Jesus wants to take you further. He wants you to go further still with him. So he invites you to a new character. And he says this by 
Come and follow. Come and follow. Now I'll set this up again. In Luke chapter five, Jesus has an encounter with, uh, with Peter and James and John, three fishermen. And they were fishing and they were fishing all night and they caught nothing. And they were tired and they were mending their nets. They were kind of cleaning up after the fishing. And Jesus was preaching to the multitudes on the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus says, hey, can I use your boat? And I'll, cast, I'll push out for the land so I can have a better venue. And so he, Peter says, sure. And Peter rose him out and Jesus preached. And Peter's sitting under the spout where the glory comes out. I mean, right there. He's listening to Jesus. Can you imagine how that had been? Listening to the most effective, dynamic communicator who's ever lived talking. And just spellbound going, Wow. And then Jesus turns to Peter after he finished. He says, amen. And Dan led just as I am. And they all left. He said, uh, hey, let's catch some fish. And Peter goes, well, you know, I'm kind of a professional here. And uh, we fished all night and we haven't caught anything. And Peter had no idea he was talking to God. If you're going to go fishing, go fishing with God. And so he cast out and they caught all these fish. And Peter was so overwhelmed. He said, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. And Jesus said this, dude, come follow me. And so they were with James and John, and we're also with James and John, the son of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon, that's Peter. And Jesus said to Simon, also Peter, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. And they brought their boats back to land. They left everything and followed him. What did they do with all that fish? They sold it. They sold the fish and funded the ministry. God's supply for the ministry is always found in the fish. And God, they sold the fish and they funded the ministry. But he said this amazing thing, come follow me and I will give your life meaning and you'll fish for people and not for fish. Because fish spoil temporarily, but people, they live forever. I'm gonna take you from a temporary assignment to an eternal assignment, I'm going to give you significance. Come follow me. Now, what's really interesting about this, this is about the third time Jesus had, in, had encountered Peter. You see, when John the Baptist was preaching and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, Peter was in the crowd. His brother Andrew was there as well. And Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. So they had met. It was another instance that they had met. So it was very obvious that this third encounter, this invitation was come following, was set up with the precedent of Jesus working in Peter's heart, Jesus working in Peter's life. And you know what? He does the same thing for you. He understands who you are, and he customizes your spiritual growth intentionally to connect with you how you are. Jesus doesn't want you to become like me. Aren't you glad? Jesus wants you to become like him. And he wants you to be you covered with him. And the individual nature of who you are. And Jesus takes his time. And he builds our character intentionally and gradually. Now, I want to read this for you again. We often confuse following Jesus with understanding Jesus. Or the knowledge of Jesus. The more we know, then the more we will follow. And we all know that that's not true. Some of the meanest people I know know a lot of scripture. Some of the most heretical people in the world are theologians who allegedly study Jesus. Knowledge without application is useless. Bible studies that don't lead to life change are filling your life 
with trivial pursuit. God's word is to be studied in order for it to change your life and for your character to be different, not just to inform your mind. Now, some of y'all just went, what? And you're going to 15 Bible studies every week and you're still the same mean old rascal you've always been. Gossiping and slandering, you just feel elite and more knowledgeable. God wants you to be like him. Now we inform our minds so that we can be like him. I think you've heard me say this. Y'all, it's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that probably that give me problems. It's the parts of the Bible I do understand that gives me problems. Because I want to be like Scott, and God wants me to be like Jesus. And then we get to share it. Jesus built Peter, James, and John to become very effective fishers of men. Peter, the rock, James, the the theologian, and John, the, the wonderful pastor. But he took them through a process. This process is the same process I'm talking to you about today. Come and see, come and follow, come and serve, and come and die. It could be known as connect, grow, serve, and share. We are using the same disciple-making process in this church for your benefit that Jesus used from time immemorial. This is not a program, y'all. This is a way of life that we will be connected into life-changing groups and that we'll grow to have our minds illuminated so we'll have the mind of Christ and the character of Christ. So we'll serve God by serving others. So we'll contagiously share the love of God in word and deed. Next weekend, you have a wonderful opportunity to bring people to the birthday party. I can't think of anything better than you say, hey, come out, hang out with us. We're gonna eat hot dogs and hamburgers and there's bouncy houses and fun and there'll be dessert and Pastor Scott's dessert is gonna win. Y'all believe that? No. (laughs) But come and see so you can come and follow. And I love what Jesus says. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. There's nothing to be afraid of. Nothing to be afraid as he's making you like Jesus. Huh. And then there's the invitation to a new meaning. And that's come and serve. Your meaning is not gathered in your ability or for your pleasure or your comfort. Your meaning is found in giving your life away in ministry. Come and serve. Now, let me set this up. This is found in John 13, uh, 12 through 17, a great passage of scripture. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he, uh, he was, they were going to observe the Passover. So in order to have a meal, somebody's got to do the preparation, Right? Somebody's got to cook. It just doesn't happen. They didn't have KFC where they went and got a bucket of chicken. They had to prepare. So Jesus asked two of the disciples to go make things ready. And they went and they found an upper room and they got everything ready for the Seder meal, the Passover meal. But the one thing they forgot to do, they forgot to hire a foot washer. Now for us, that seems like ridiculous. Why would you need a foot washer? Because we don't wear sandals and your feet don't stink. And you also don't lay around the table eating with your feet in somebody else's face. Now, if your feet's going to be in somebody else's face, it's better for your feet not to stink. Wouldn't you agree? Wouldn't you agree? And they didn't hire a foot washer. 
So they get there and disciples walk in and they're going, ain't got nobody to wash no feet. I ain't washing feet. You gonna wash feet? Peter, you gonna wash your feet? No, I ain't washing feet. Thomas, you gonna wash your feet? He says, I doubt it. <laughs> Thank you very much. Okay. And so they just started, <laughs> that was pretty clever actually. They started <laughs> reclining around the table with their stinky feet in each other's faces. So what does Jesus do? He gets up, he takes off his outer garment, so he's dressed like a servant. He puts the towel over his arm, grabs the basin in his hand, and he begins probably the most awkward thing in all of Scripture. He begins washing their feet. What do you think the two dudes that did the arrangement felt like? Ay, ay, ay. Of course, Peter's going, hey, not only my feet, but wash all of me. Jesus goes, whatever, showboat. And so at the end of this, this is what he said. And when he washed their feet, and he put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do this just as I've done to you. Now, it wasn't about washing feet, y'all. It was about taking care of each other, about serving each other, about taking on the position of being a servant instead of an entitled brat. By setting aside our rights and privileges, listen to me very carefully. You will not become everything Jesus wants you to become until you find your ministry that Jesus is designed for you to do. If you sit and soak, you will sour and stink. But if you decide to serve, you'll grow. In fact, the best way to, to serve is through connection. I'm connected to grow, to serve, so I could share the love of Jesus in word and deed. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we did the $100 challenge. Y'all remember? And a few of you took that challenge and you've distributed money and we're gonna release a whole Stories at First uh, edition of the Stories of Life Change. It's been pretty incredible. And we've had people give away money to homeless uh, people. I had a guy send me a video of him actually giving the money to a guy that said he was a homeless vet. He said he sees him all the time and it was raining. It didn't seem for a while, so he knew he was struggling. So he gave him a hundred bucks. He said, here, this is from First Baptist Wimberley. He goes, yeah, First Baptist Wimberley. I've never been there. He says, well, they love you. And here's a gift from Jesus and for them. And it, this guy was just blown away. He looked at him, he was like blown away. Hmm. But I have a hundred dollar story. You see, several years ago, somebody stuck a hundred dollar bill in my pocket. And Tara, I told Tara, she said, would you just spend that on yourself? You do whatever you want to with it. She's never said that before, has never said it since, but she <laughs> do anything you want to with it. So I was going to spend it on me. I went to speak at a church in Georgia and I was at a grocery store on Sunday afternoon. There was a lady trying to get money out of the ATM. And the Lord whispered to my heart. He said, give her your, give her your hundred dollars. I said, nope, I ain't going to do it. So I didn't. Y'all going, you heathen. Yep. My hundred dollars. She ain't getting it. Mine. I didn't even feel guilty. The next day I went to lunch with the pastor and he asked the waitress, honey, how you doing? She broke down to tears. She says, I am such desperate need. They've shut my power off today. I can't feed my children. I don't know what to do. And the Lord said, give her 
your hundred dollars. And I thought, dead gum, Jesus, you after my cash or what? So I gave her my, I gave her a hundred bucks. I said, look, this is not from me. It's from God. And I learned a lesson then. Whenever I feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit, I obey it because delayed obedience is disobedience. I gave her the hundred bucks. I said, this is not from me. It's from Jesus. I don't want to give it to you. Jesus wants you to have it. They're being truthful, right? She took it, and the pastor helped her with her utilities. And since then, I've had incredible experiences with listening to the prompting of God because as a responsibility as a believer, I'm supposed to meet needs. I'm supposed to wash feet. I'm not supposed to be entitled. I gave 20 bucks to a guy once in Washington, and I was going to give him a lecture about drugs, and I stopped, and he looked at me and said, you're a pastor, aren't you? I'm going to pray for you and your wife. He prayed for us. Guess who felt like a jerk? See a need, meet a need. Come and serve. Put on the servant towel. You know what it does? Breaks the grip of selfishness in your life. It breaks the grip of entitlement and elitism. Church, we'll only be as effective as the needs we're able to meet. And there's enough in here in this room to change the world. But here's the final invitation to come and die. To come and die. As I was writing this talk, I started to use the passage of John where Jesus says, you know, you'll have no part of me unless you eat my flesh or drink my blood. And I thought, okay, that's too complicated. I'm not going to go there. Everybody's going to go, oh, 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 Halloween talk. Yeah. But listen to what Jesus says here. And this is my commandment. This is my commandment. Not a suggestion, but a commandment from King Jesus that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than somebody lay down his life for his friends. Now, Jesus was saying this in John 15. He was going to the cross to lay down his life for us. But it's a greater message than just laying down your physical life. I was doing premarital counseling once and I asked this old boy who's getting married to this girl. And he, he, I said, son, are you willing to lay down your life for her? He goes, yep, absolutely. I'd step in front of a bullet any day for her. I said, no, no, that's not what I'm asking. Are you willing to set aside your privileges, your selfishness, your entitlement? You want things your way and submit to this woman and love this woman as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it? He goes, preacher, that's asking an awful lot. That's called being married. Are we willing to lay down our lives for King Jesus? I have a tendency to give him some, but I give him all. And guess what? He wants all of it. He wants all of my life. Jesus says this in Luke, and this is, this is bothersome. This is one of those hard sayings of Jesus. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. What? Is Jesus anti-family? No. He's saying you have to surrender everything, that I have to be front and center. And this is what will happen. When you lay down your life, you know what he does? He 
He gives you back a better family, back better parenting. He gives back everything you've always wanted. He gives back to you because it's no longer you who live, but Christ lives in you. This is the surrendered life. Life is found in dying to yourself and living all for Jesus. My biggest struggle is that I'm selfish and shallow. I am self-focused and self-centered, but I want to become like Jesus. I want my life to be changed. I have to die in order to live. So I'm crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live. Jesus Christ now lives in me. And the life I now live is by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. Here's my problem. I don't know if it's yours. But it says in Romans 12 to present yourselves a living sacrifice. You know what you do with sacrifices? You place them on an altar. You know what the problem with the living sacrifice? It crawls off the altar. And I find myself going, here I am, Jesus. Off the altar. So daily, moment by moment, the decision to live off for Jesus has got to be in front and center. And you know what's really cool? It happens best, happens best in community with you. As you help me become what I'm supposed to be, and I help you become what you're supposed to be, and we together become what God wants us to be. And what does he want us to be? The hope of the world. Wow. <clears throat> Again, I want to read for you. I think I've done you a disservice, but not challenge you to die for yourself. There's so many times that I, we gather and I want to placate you or inspire you, or, but I want to challenge you today to stop playing games with God and start living all for him. I want to challenge this church to no longer be inward focused about what we like and what we enjoy, but to be outwardly focused about what God wants and what he desires. And guess what happens? When we become inward focused, we become infighting. When we become outwardly focused, we become the hope of the world. We stop worrying about what people say and think about us, and we start worrying about what God wants us to do and become. And we shift. And when we die to ourselves, we truly live. Will you die to yourself? Come and see. Come and follow. Come and serve. Come and die. A few months ago, I asked you this question. I'm going to ask it to you again today, and you'll probably hear it in the future. What would you do for God if you knew it was him who asked? What would you do? Some of y'all say, well, I'd do anything. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Tom and Beverly Gillespie gave their testimony today. I love them. They're an amazing couple. But God asked them to take everything and move to go to a foreign country and to lead a church planning movement. And what Tom said, what did Tom say when he got there? God, why didn't you do this earlier? Huh? Why do we always delay when today is the day? What would you do? Hmm. I answered that question for me. What would I do for God if it knew it was him we'd ask? You know what my answer was? I'd be your pastor. 
And I would let God, allow God, or let God use me to launch a movement of church revitalization and renewal from Wimberley, Texas, that shakes all of eternity. All for Jesus. Y'all pray for me tonight. I'm going to a church that's having a hard time. And they want me to come speak to them about revitalization. That pastor has no idea, but he just unzipped the tent and let the monkey in. <laughs> it's going to be fun. I won't tell y'all where because y'all will show up and I don't, they don't need any more monkeys. <laughs> Not yet. So I want to ask you this question and I'm done. What are you seeking? What do you want Jesus to do for you? Come and see. Come and see.